This is Gretchen Carlson of the Marshall Journeys podcast, and you're listening to the Kung Fu Podcast with T.W. Smith. I'm not bitter about that at all. Actually, I'm really not. You have good taste in podcasts. Keep it up. Welcome to Kung Fu Podcast, where we explore the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. I'm your host, T.W. Smith. If this is your first time on the program, welcome. You're in the audience of some of the finest and sharpest martial artists in the world. People that put in a great deal of sweat and a great deal of effort into honing their craft. In this episode, I'm talking with Brian Cuddle, one of the younger generation of Chinese martial arts instructors. When you see his work, I believe you will recognize the sweat and focus that he puts into his training. Hey, Sifu. Hey, hey, how you doing, man? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm going to go with we're good to go. I like doing uh, interviews just organically, you know, not a whole lot of uh, preemptive things. It's kind of a uh, follow the dial. Right. Just yeah. see, see where it, yeah, <laughs> see where it takes us. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, I've only gotten to see you on videos. I've heard about you some. I know that you and I have some kind of Kung Fu ancestry overlapping here and there. Right. <laughs> but uh, tell me and tell the audience about you, you know, where are you at? Where are you from? You know, those kinds of things. OK, so. I'm right now I'm in Geneva, Switzerland, and I've been here since 2018. Before that, I was in San Francisco for 10 years. During that time, it was the biggest um, influence on my Kung Fu. I was, um, run, I was working as program director and as an instructor for Choi Le Fat Kung Fu and Tai Chi at the School of Grandmaster Doc Fai Wong in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And that was my full-time job. And it was seven days a week, just every day in the school, whether or not there's classes, I was, you know, doing maintenance or whatever, and, Mm -hmm. you know, changing doorknobs or cleaning the school and all that stuff. And, um, and of course, training and, and everything. It was, it was a really great experience at that time. And uh, prior to that, I was in the same lineage, but I was studying in a school in Reno, Nevada. And that was near the hometown that I grew up in. Um, so I was studying there for seven years before, no, eight years before I moved to San Francisco. So, okay. I'm going to be interested because I, I know that uh, everybody's got a different story. And mm-hmm. what drew you to martial arts in general? Well, <laughs> it's nothing. I mean, it's. I wish it could be like really, you know, super interesting story, but when I was a teenager, I saw some Bruce Lee movies and Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be strong. I wanted to be like, just so cool, like Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. And um, I made up my mind at that time that I wanted to do Kung Fu. And I did have prior experience, if you even want to call Mm -hmm. it that. I took about a month of uh, karate when I was maybe eight years old. And I was as an instructor, looking at it, like, I know exactly the type of student now, and those are difficult students. 
And I was definitely one of those. I, my mind was everywhere else. I was all over the place. And after about a month of trying to get into lessons on time, trying to remember the movements, not practicing at home and just having my mind scattered, my parents decided it was best to, it wasn't something worth pursuing if I didn't have my heart in it. So right. I kind of discount it as training. But when I was a teenager, I was definitely, I had, I was dead set on Kung Fu. So there were no Kung Fu schools in the town I grew up in, only that karate school. And I had friends that were already becoming instructors there. And uh, though I respected the art, I just had to be like Bruce Lee. So I mm-hmm. found a Kung Fu school in Reno, Nevada. And that's, uh, it was about 40 miles away from my home. So mm-hmm. as soon as I got my license and I bought a car, I drove and I would go two, three times a week. And then yeah, jumped into to as much as I could over there. <laughs> okay. How long after you made the decision to train in Kung Fu did you actually find the school? Um, not too long, actually. I would say okay. within a month or so, I found the school because already before that time, the, my friends and I would go to a martial arts store in Reno. So uh, they, uh, they had flyers and things around there. And then I had, um, I had a couple of friends that already did martial arts. And one of them said a lot of good things about the school. Um, it mm. was called Tiger Kung Fu at that time. Mm. Uh, my first Sifu, uh, Sifu Hamayan Amadzai changed the name to, I think it's Zai XMA right now, or Zai Martial Arts in Reno. But okay. uh, yeah, it had a great reputation. And I went to check it out and did the, the introductory class. And that was it. I was hooked. End of story. Right. <laughs> Uh, and I've seen your Choli foot looks great. So uh, uh, you uh, is that where you started when you started your Kung Fu path? Yes. So um, I started with Choli foot and then I got into Tai Chi after after about three years in with Choli foot. And um, it was because in that school we taught both and mm-hmm. it was encouraged for the instructors to do both arts. And it, mm-hmm. for me, I was what, like 19 at the time, 18, 19. And it was fun to do, but it didn't really hit me. In fact, even until I moved to San Francisco, it took until it took almost what, like eight, nine years before it hit me how important it was. In fact, that's once I moved to San Francisco, those were that was probably the, the most, what would I say, important time for me working with Grandmaster Doc Fai Wong, because hmm. his son is my Sifu. Jason Wong is my Sifu there. And he's okay. my Choli Fat Sifu, but it's the school of Grandmaster. And one of the coolest things was Grandmaster still taught his, um, he had like a community class that he was teaching in Chinatown. And the school is actually in the Sunset District. So we're out by the ocean. And mm-hmm. he was teaching a, a weekly class over in Chinatown. And just at a community center it was no charge lots of just seniors or just tai chi enthusiasts would come over and he asked if because he knew i wasn't i was only working at the school he asked if i would drive him over and i'll tell you like just driving between his house and that school and the uh, tai chi center i got the most i got a a lot of lessons i got a lot of in-depth lessons just on the drive and it took me a little bit of time because at first I mean, you know, I knew of him. He was the grandmaster of the style that I learned when I was in Reno. And for seven years, 
you know, I had only seen him at seminars and I, I had limited interactions with him and my, my superiors always looked up to him and, it, you know, they tried to make this very um, almost overly respectful approach to it. Mm-hmm. So I was in the first couple of sessions, it was like quiet driving in the car and I wasn't, I was afraid <laughs> to ask any questions. And then I just started with a couple because I was just so interested in the art. I moved to San Francisco for the art. And then from that point on, that's, I got the best information during those, those sessions, just driving back and forth, but doing Tai Chi there at the community center was also really, really important for me because I began to um, learn so much depth to my Tai Chi. And he never, he never really spent time trying to teach people the, the, the long parts of the form or the sequence of the form. He would go in there and he would teach his main thing was uh, teaching just chunks of the, like taking a chunk of it, taking it apart, focusing on the detail so that people could do it, you know, correctly. And I learned mm-hmm. so much out of those ones for my, for my Tai Chi training. And that's when my mind started to think in a Tai Chi method as well, because before it was just moving slow. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, you know, it's funny. Uh, first is that uh, I tell my students today that I learn more lessons around the dinner table with my seafood. You know, because after we get through a practice, uh, we would uh, quite often, at least once, usually twice a week, after we practice for a couple hours, we would sit down as a collective group and uh, he would either prepare dinner or we would go out and have dinner. And around those dinner tables, I mean, the lessons that I learned that I still, you know, try to implement today was amazing. And it used to be back in those days was the great big cassette decks and with the, you know, the cassette deck that was about that big that used a great big, you can't hardly find the big D batteries, right? <laughs> that was like a bar of soap. Took, yeah. So the cassette deck took four, four, four D sized batteries, right? <laughs> and so uh, much like yourself, I drove from Pinehurst to Fayetteville through Fort Bragg to get to my Sifu to practice. That was one way. And on the way back, I would always record the things I had learned, the things I had not done well, the things I'd done well. I still have some of those cassettes floating around. And then on my way to the lesson, I would listen to my notes, you know, so I would know when I showed up to practice what I needed to work on. And it was part of his encouragement. He said, you know, if you're practicing your Kung Fu, you approach it like any apprentice would approach his job, you know, like a blacksmith and and, whatever else. And so I have a notebook that's about four inches thick, (laughs) you know, of all my personal notes and the styles. So when you started and you were getting ready to learn, did you have, did you have personal goals for yourself? I know you said you wanted to, you know, look like Bruce Lee and, you know, my Sifu would always say there's only three types of Kung Fu, Kung Fu for show, Kung Fu for fighting, Kung Fu for health, Mm -hmm. right? And Kung Fu for show was important. Right, because that's like doing the demonstrations, the lion dancing, right, attracting students, you know, uh, and every system and style has different forms of showmanship. Kung Fu for health, you know, whether that was in the Qigong or built in some of the forms, and of course the combative pieces, because basically, and as a practitioner, you were required to know which one you were doing, right? You couldn't just do it and say, okay, yeah, I'm doing Tai Chi and this is how you would use it. And you'll go, no, no, no. That's for help. That's to help you open up your hips and to move yeah. through and things like that. Uh, so my goal was when I first started was just to get to know myself and to get to know who I was. And, and that really helped me. Did you have personal goals besides the uh, Bruce Lee piece? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, um, 
It's funny. The first year, I would say I just did it because I didn't know what else to do. I showed up to class. It was a good workout. I learned self-defense techniques. I thought it was really cool. And then I learned some cool movements here or there. If the instructor wanted to show some stick stuff for the day. Mm. And uh, it wasn't until after that first year. And it's kind of, I mean, there was a pivotal point and it came from work at the time. I, um, I was on a job with my father and my grandfather and we were out in the middle of nowhere, Nevada. Um, like if you think of nowhere, Nevada, it's even outside of that. <laughs> okay. It's, uh, it's a little town called Montello and there were maybe 50 houses in that town. Not all of them occupied. The day we rolled into town, the gas station slash grocery store closed down because the guy had been skipping taxes and things like that. So mm. we had to drive 50 miles one way to get food, groceries, do laundry. And we were up five miles up in the hills outside of this town to uh, work on a uh, spring water project. And it, initially it was supposed to take about two weeks and everything that could go wrong went wrong um, one of the guys on our crew sunk a huge excavator in the mud and we had to bring in another excavator from Elko, Nevada, which took a day and a half. And we sunk a bulldozer trying to get that one out. And it was just like, I was a 17 year old and like, so frustrated with everything that had gone wrong. I remember just... <laughs> I remember standing on that hillside one day, I had just the worst day, even for myself, I had popped tires on the truck that we had. And uh, I just, I was embarrassed with my work and everything. And I remember just like shouting out at the town of, you know, whoever was down there, I was right, just right. so upset. And, uh, but that job separated me from the world that I knew. And it was supposed to be a two week job, something that we had done before, but it ended up being about six weeks. And that separation gave me a lot of discipline, a lot of discipline and a lot of, uh, I, I guess you could say that's where I set my compass. That's where I calibrated every aspect of my life. When I went back, I decided I wanted progress. Mm. And then that's once I went back and I started getting back into my Kung Fu lessons, um, I was going in with more fervor. I was more serious about the training and that caught the eye of my instructor. And he suggested maybe that I join in the assistant instructor, instructor program or the instructor training program. Mm. And um, I didn't know what to say. And he's like, oh, but it's a good workout. At least do it for that. And I was like, all right, I'll do it for that. <laughs> and of course, that's when we just started really getting into goal setting and things. And I, mm. I wanted to work on improvement. And we were looking at basic things, improve your mile, improve your splits, improve your push-ups, improve your right. horse stance. It was cool because if you did not improve, you and it just even a small improvement was good enough. But if you did not right. improve in your last week's time, you were cut from the program. So mm. there was that competitive level too. And that's when I started to notice over the time on that program, I think it was also about a six week program. I, uh, I saw that I had made changes and I, I kind of became addicted to that because here I am, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm still, I was 17 at the time. And I'm like, wow, wow. this is, this is amazing. I'm, I'm making improvements. I'm, I'm becoming stronger, faster, clearer. My mind was clearer. I had so much more discipline. And then it was around that time too, I started setting goals for my life in general. And I have a notebook mm. that, I, that I take out every year 
I still have it. Um, it's it's so like this old notebook from school. <laughs> and right, right, right. I write down all my goals and I check them off as I do them, check in on it maybe once a month or so. But that's when I started really setting goals and trying to move up to my next level, trying to improve on, on this or that. And uh, it's been like that since. So I think every style of martial arts can bring challenges, right? And some of them are physical challenges. My, my secret, we have to practice Jam Jong. He, he required us, if we were going to learn certain things, you had to be able to stand and do your standing meditation, right? And so we were required by the time you got to some of the upper levels, you had to be able to stand and not move for an hour. Wow. And my students today, when they say, hey, uh, Sifu, I'd like to learn that. Okay. You start here, right? <laughs> and, you know, I think the thing that re I realized is that when my Sifu would make us do that, I would go out to the park. We practiced outside every Saturday, for example, and during the week. But uh, one of the things that happened was is that uh, there were people out there already doing it. He would practice and he would do his jam junk stand. And there were a couple of senior classmates of mine at the time who were my inspiration because I remember going over there and the biggest challenge for me was me. I realized yeah. that uh, uh, when I got out there to do my meditation at 10 minutes in, I, I was like, I, I, I don't know how to stand myself. I mean, my mind was going all over the place. Mm -hmm. I was distracted. Uh, and it really took a good year or so of daily practice before I really became at peace with myself. Uh, accept my flaws and my, some of my shortcomings, and then I can work on them. Uh, he he would often tell us, you know, you can't you can't improve upon what you avoid. That's that's profound. <laughs> <laughs> and I I was like, okay, I don't like to hear that. <laughs> right, but uh, so what what was your what was some of your biggest challenges? Well, you know, so it's actually it's interesting um, now that you mention it because I kind of look at it in phases. In the, the phase when I was coming up through Reno, there were certain challenges and it was more martial arts based, more physical based. You know, it was uh, the typical, I guess, student experience. But it was when I moved to San Francisco, that's where that's where a lot of the personal challenges came in, because mm. I was trying to run a school as a as a professional I was young, I was 23, and I'm, I was trying to be a, a, like a businessman. I was given the keys, you know, and like, you know, I was mm -hmm. in the driver's seat. And I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, and I learned a lot from it. But that was one of the challenges to balance how I could improve in my business, but then also improve in the arts and improve. Uh, like you said earlier, you mentioned the, the cultural part of it, like when you had the tea with your mm -hmm. seafood. There was a lot that I learned about Chinese culture when I finally moved mm -hmm. to San Francisco and started driving Grandmaster around to, mm -hmm. you know, the Tai Chi class. And then we, I would drive him to, if he had lunch with a friend, I would be the chauffeur. And, mm -hmm. you know, like, there's some funny stories about the first couple of times because here I am with him at a, at a restaurant, everybody's speaking Cantonese. Mm -hmm. Every so often he'll ask me something in English but I'm just sitting there and trying to just gather out of context what's going on. And mm -hmm. then things like pouring tea and, um, you know, like he, <laughs> he would order just to see, just to see what I would handle. He wanted to see where I would speak up. He would try to order some things 
the the interesting Chinese food, you know, the chicken oh, feet, yeah. oh, duck yeah. tongue, <laughs> the, the little uh-huh. squid or the little octopus and snails and things like that. Right, right. And right. he it it worked out well because I didn't I didn't speak up because I was also kind of interested in trying it. <laughs> And more more than anything else, I actually really enjoyed it, and that showed to him that showed well. And I think that uh, even though it's you know something silly as eating, it was uh, <laughs> you know just it showed that I was interested in trying all the aspects. And mm. um, culture wise too, I remember there was one Sunday, and it was February in two thousand eight. There I was in the school cleaning, and it was like my second or third week there, and um, I figured I would be the only one in the school. And all of a sudden I hear the front door open and I turn and look and it's my grandmaster and, and, uh, some, another man and they're talking and his grandmaster said, well, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm, I'm here to clean. It's just an easier way to do this. And then on Monday I can, you know, come in and go straight to business. He's like, Oh, that's nice. And he's like, we're doing the feng shui for the school right now. Um, why don't you help? Mm. So I helped mm. him move stuff and, put things mm. in place and do all of that. And from wow. that point on, I became like his assistant in that. And I began to learn parts of feng shui as well, mm-hmm. like how to calculate, you know, the quad number and element and mm. the basics, like basic, basic level. And I would mm-hmm. drive him and the, and the feng shui master out to different jobs and stuff too, and help on those jobs. And just picking up these little nuances and little things, I had to do it on the spot because he wasn't, there was not always time to explain what went on unless it was something where I completely messed up. And then he would have to tell me later on, Hey, next time don't do it. Yeah. It's funny you say it. One of the things that I I developed for myself when you uh, bring up the eating pup thing is that I developed the don't ask, just eat. Yeah. Yeah. So there were too many times I asked, I'm like, I shouldn't have asked. Right. And (laughs) It's interesting you say that because feng shui was something that, of course, I had never heard of, but it is a, a you know, it's a real important component of, of the culture. Mm-hmm. And later on, it was like, okay, well, some of this actually kind of makes sense. I mean, some of it you just, people do already, you know, mm-hmm. and you already know, but you didn't know you knew, and you certainly yeah. had never related to feng shui. Right? <laughs> uh, but one of the things like, you know, in, in front of every door, we had a mirror mm-hmm. so that as soon as you walked in the door, there was a mirror there. And he always said, you know, that way in case if someone comes in with evil intentions into your home or to your business and they have bad intentions, the first thing they have to look at is them, themselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So any place I go, you know, and it's going to be a place in my establishment in front of my door is a mirror. <laughs> so that uh, that just made sense to me. I had a note here too, about asking you running a school is a real challenge. I had, you know, I've had, I'm on school for almost, I guess, 16 years. Yeah. And Raleigh, it does. That balance is really a hard thing to kind of find, you know, and, and to continue trying to improve upon yourself, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it really is a challenge. Now that you have moved to Geneva, how has the journey changed for you? I know that it seems like you put out more videos now. I see you doing a few other little things that look, you know, and the, you always, well, first of all, you always look like you have well practiced what you're presenting. And the other thing is, is that you always look like you're having fun. It's obvious that at least those two pieces I see, but how has your journey changed now? 
it's been a big change. It's the <laughs> Kung Fu and Tai Chi have been my anchor. I have my support. I have my wife here and we're, you know, it's, it's been nice to be in a new country and have my wife and, and all of that. But on the inside for me personally, um, my identity is my martial arts. So regardless if I'm making videos or not, I still have my practice. I still have myself. I know who I am. Mm. And moving to this country has been a huge question of identity because I am Swiss. My father's Swiss. Uh, my grandparents actually moved to America. And then it's weird now I moved here. <laughs> mm. But at the same time, it has been, other than having a Swiss passport, <laughs> it's been a very difficult experience to assimilate here because Geneva's nice. A lot of, it's a very international city and a lot of people will speak English, but when it comes down to doing things for taxes or for the community or speaking to my neighbors, this is on the French side of Switzerland. So everything is in French. Sometimes paperwork will be in German or Italian. And I know some German because for the first year and a half, I was doing a lot over on the Swiss German speaking side. And on that side, I mean, I can't say I was very well prepared. I knew maybe four words in Swiss German before moving out here. And I more or less had to learn while just thrown into the fire. I didn't have access to courses at the time, and I just had to function and develop with it. I'm kind of finding myself now back in that same situation now that I'm in Geneva full time, and I'm just basically starting over in French, but I have been taking classes and things, but you take for granted a lot when you have, when you're fluent in the language, you're fluent in the system of living because just little things like there's quiet hours here. There's, you know, quiet days like Sunday, Sunday, all stores are closed. It's encouraged that you spend time with your family or you go out hiking or whatever, but you can't, you're not like, you don't clean house. You don't do laundry. You don't go mm. to the supermarket. Like it's, it's all, um, <laughs> everything's closed and you're not supposed to run machines mm. it's the swiss way okay. all right okay <laughs> and uh it's been all, all these times where i have some conversation with somebody in english i have all the words i can tell them in a poetic way i can tell them in a concise way i can drag out a conversation i can make small talk but in french i only have just simple means of making a sentence and same in swiss german and it's uh i don't I, I mean, I don't usually open up about my martial arts to people. That's usually something my friends even find out later on because I do it for me. But mm. it's been uh, like, it's been a huge question of who am I and how do I get in here as an instructor and teach? Because mm. I want to teach. Finding a place to actually start teaching was a really tough search but luckily, it's it's a maybe a ten minute walk from my apartment. I found a nice place close by that I can rent time from, and that's also giving me the opportunity to film a lot more for my videos. And then, of course, we we had to deal with uh, COVID, so that's right. a huge stop on everything too. Right. But right. I I found that to be a and something that I've been able to adapt to though, because it's given me an opportunity to go in instead of going in to teach. At the location, instead of teaching students on site, I've been able to film more content for YouTube. And mm -hmm. I, this year, I finally put up a website 
And eventually mm -hmm. I'm going to start, um, I've been the editing and building process, but I'm going to start some online learning. So okay. at least there's that direction as well. So it hasn't been uh, too much downtime, even with COVID going on. <laughs> oh, well, you know, the, uh, the winter time is the time for development. Springtime is time for growth. And the COVID experience has been, you know, shut down a lot of things. I've tried to use it as a way to develop mm -hmm. uh, myself. The processes of uh, getting more studies done, getting podcasts. You know, I, I started Kung Fu Podcasts primarily as a way to, to promote traditional Chinese martial arts in a healthy, when I say healthy, a non-magical sort of format. I mean, yeah. so much of the yeah. Chinese martial arts now is either portrayed as some form of like chi magic and or, or it's, uh, a lot of it now is also just in movies and things. Yeah. You no, know, there's a there's a real solid base like your Sifu, you know, they come from a very well known fighting system. Yes. Right? And, it, it, and it was very assertive. The training is grueling. I'm sure that you've been, you know, you've had to hit the poles and hit the beating on the things. And um, <laughs> when my sequence would say, you always bury your soul in the pole, right? So when you're hitting that 200 pound wooden wooden dummy, or you know, we hit a telephone pole. Still, mo most of my students all have one now. And so you practice the, you know, South Choi, right? Mm -hmm. All that you're hitting all those and working on your uh, uh, choli foot against that wooden pole. And he, he would say, you know, just bury your soul in the pole. And basically translated was that, you know, one day, one day you won't be afraid to hit the pole. Yeah. And, and it's not that you're trying to hit it hard. You're trying to learn to condition your mind and your heart. And one day you won't be afraid to hit the pole. And when another man holds up his arms, all you're going to see are two twigs. Yep. That's you won't it. be afraid to hit them. Right. <laughs> you won't be afraid to hit his arms. And I, I can tell you that that little do this, that'll lead to that. Those were the sort of things that I was, I started building my life around. Lessons like that, you know, what do I need to do to get myself in condition so that I could do that one day? Are you working on any other projects like besides the website writing? I think you even had a blog or two going out. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've kind of tried to put everything onto my website now. So I've been kind of always trying to share things across all social media and um, I, but now I'm trying to condense. So I have a blog on my website and it's more just, I don't know. I'm not trying to draw much from, you know, mm -hmm. trying to draw much traffic or attention to it, but it's there. And I hope that at some point somebody's going to need to find something, whether it be <laughs> the plans from like, a, I just built a Kung Fu bench. And so I, I wrote out my plans and then I made a video about it. And at least now it's in one spot on the blog. So maybe somebody wants to find that, or if they want to just find out that they had an experience in a class, that's a normal thing. Or if they find themselves in a rut and you know, where I've had experience in that same rut and how I got out of it. And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's, that's there. And then also I kind of caught the writing bug because it's, it's always been something, actually, that was something that Grandmaster Doc Fai Wong started me on many years ago. And he said, you know, start, if you have the time, write, write an article, submit it. And, uh, you know, he knew Dave Cater at Inside Kung Fu Magazine. Mm -hmm. So I was able to get connected there. I dropped, I, I was able to have one article published before they ended up stopping publication. 
And then I tried with a couple other publications. And luckily, Gene Ching over at Kung Fu Tai Chi magazine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he picked up one of my articles. And then it's really cool how that worked out because I want to say maybe after the second or third article that I would submit, we would talk a little bit more. And he kind of took me, you know, I don't know how he sees it. The way I see it is he kind of took me under his wing and he's mentored me, at least on the writing side and given me. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes straightforward criticism (laughs) and uh, other times he's pushed me in a good direction and that was really nice that went on for years and even while I was here in Geneva I still was able to submit two more articles before they stopped print publication and I know they're doing web publication but I'm not sure how that's going so I haven't tried to send anything over to them at this point but um, I was able to write a book last year and COVID time gave me time to figure out the whole system of publishing through uh, Mm. Amazon. And I wrote and drew the pictures and did all of that. And now that I'm comfortable with the system, I'm I'm definitely going to be releasing more books. It's just, you know, finding the time to contribute, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. Well, uh, what's the name of the website? My website? Uh-huh. Um, it's it's seafoodcuddle.com. <laughs> okay. All right. What was the name of the book that you had published there at Amazon? Um, the book is called Monkey Movement, the, okay. the Guide to Monkey Techniques, Movement, and Acting. And okay. it was a chance to kind of – it's a very basic, simple format because it, I, I didn't want to go into too much – it's the Choile Fut monkey form is what I'm basing okay. it off of in my experience in it. So it's not okay. like I'm saying it's the entire monkey system. Right. And I have gotten messages about that. They're like, you know, people are like, well, what about, you know, what do I do next? I'm like, this is right. from Choile Fut. <laughs> right, right, right. right. But, um, it's got basic techniques. I wanted to talk a little bit about the importance of the cultural side for the acting in a form and the kind of demystify some of the things that you would expect I try to do that in some of my videos too. And I talk about animal styles is that people try to get in their mind that once they learn this animal style, that they're going to be all of a sudden an expert fighter. And it's like, no, it's not the case. These are, these techniques are useful, but they're not your main art. They're just add-ons. They're, they're, Mm. you know, plus ones for your, for your art. And you can use it when it's, when the timing is right, when the angle is right, but you got to have your basics so that you can actually fight. But um, yeah, that book is about uh, more of the acrobatic techniques to introduce some of that okay. so that people in the, in the system, if they want to develop it, they can learn how to do it and they can learn on their own because I don't, I don't talk about the form other than the structure of it, how there's some acting, the moves and how it closes up and how that has that significance. So they can take those techniques along with some of the strikes and kicks mentioned in the book and then, you know, actually put together their own training if they want to, or if they already know the form, they can tighten it up and clean it up more. I've seen your work and I know where you're coming from. And uh, so I know you got a good base on it and a, and a good, <laughs> good expression of it too. Um, are you planning to stay there in Geneva? Is this where you forecast that this is where you're going to be for the next while? Um, yeah, for the next while, I would say for at least the next five years or so, depending on if, uh, 
if we want to stay here or if my wife decides that, you know, it's time to move and work somewhere else, then mm -hmm. uh, we'll go that way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Who knows? We might end up in Singapore. We may end up in Africa. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure I'm going to be here in North Carolina for, for the rest of my time. So, uh, so would you, would you be open to uh, trying to get back together again and say in a few months and have a conversation oh, again? Absolutely. Right. I would love that. Uh, you know, I'd like to talk with you at some point about, you know, your experiences about running into key practitioners as far as, you know, uh, getting way over the skis into magic land, but not <laughs> not dismissing it either. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's something I'd like to talk with you further about. And then some of the other inner arts. I mean, you know, one of the things we were always taught, if you're going to be a good practitioner of, for example, Choli Foot, which... It's pretty much like, you know, you crank up the lawnmower and here you go. Yeah. Right? And you might change the blades a little bit here and there. But the, when you're seeing someone practice wholehearted Choli Foot, there's not a lot of ambiguity about what it is he's trying to do. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, that if you're going to practice something that hard, you had to practice the inside as well. You had to have something to to do to create. Because see what I'll say, if you're going to practice destroying things, you have to practice creating things or you're out of balance. Yeah. And so it sounds like part of your creation was uh, your writing, you know, putting things together. Uh, but I'd I like to dig into that a little bit further, too. So is there anything you'd like to share with the audience though, but, uh, before we give a go? I mean, is, uh, you know, any seminars you might be going to or seminars you might be lit, putting out or, or no. what we can look for in the next couple of months as far as YouTube presentations? <laughs> yeah, at this time, it's all YouTube wise, but um, I am actually going to be re releasing a second channel on YouTube. And it's more just because um, it's, it's going to be a Tai Chi only channel because before okay. I was only releasing maybe one video a month for Tai Chi. So for my, you know, Kung Fu viewers, there was one week that they would sometimes some people like both arts, but sometimes people would just skip a mm -hmm. week. And then for my Tai Chi people, they're sitting there three, four weeks waiting for another video to drop. So now I'm separating it. So they'll have, the, there's going to be more videos. <laughs> right. More content going to. out to different channels, right? All right. Well, look, take care of yourself. I look forward to talking with you again soon. Hey, thanks so much. And yeah, you take care too. We'll see you later. Yes, sir. Bye now. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brian. I look forward to having him on the program again in the future. He's one of those fine young Chinese martial arts instructors that I believe is going to bring a great deal of energy in the years to come. In the next episode that's going to be released pretty shortly after this one, it's all about Ip Man and the prostitute. Make sure that you have a fantastic practice today. Put in your sweat, your focus, and I look forward to talking with you again real soon. <laughs>